to Voices United, a congregational song podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Brody, and in this episode, we conclude part two of our interview with Sally Ann Morris. Sally is a composer and church musician, and our interview took place in front of a live audience of students in September 2022 in Spokane, Washington. So I know for you, as for me, some tunes are created because we are unsatisfied with the available options for a, for a given text. Right. Um, I believe your setting of Adam Tice's text, The Church of Christ Cannot Be Bound, um, is an example of this. And I wonder if you could share a bit about that process, um, kind of how you came, came to write a new tune for that. Um, and I should note, we've distributed copies of this. Um, so we've got a, a sort of a lab choir here that we'll be able to demonstrate. So our friend Adam wrote this text very early on. Adam is uh, in his uh, early 40s. In college, he, he was assigned to write a hymn text. And so he wrote um, this one. This was one of his earliest texts. And it is in one of the very most, the most common meter, eight syllables, six syllables, eight syllables, six syllables, common meter. And um, it's the same meter as Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Uh, that's why it's called common meter, because it's the most common meter. Um, <laughs> and he wrote this, he wrote that, this text, The Church of Christ Cannot Be Bound, with this tune, which is a long, familiar, um, sturdy tune called Asmund. And here's how it goes. Some of you may know this uh, this tune, um, and and others may not. But here's how it goes. Why don't we sing the first verse of the Church of Christ with Asma? commanded to go out and be ministers of the world. 
Sally. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice singing. <laughs> Sally, I'm curious, um, has this tune been published in recent hymnals or? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, this text has been published now in many hymnals. Yeah. Um, he wrote this text in early 2000, and I think now it has found its way in probably into at least a half a dozen um, denominational hymnals and, and hymnal supplements and songbooks. There was one uh, denomination that actually really preferred my tune, uh, and they said, Sally, we really love this tune, but it's too long to fit on the page. <laughs> and um, it will take up two pages in our, in our hymnal, the way our hymnal is formatted. And uh, they said, would you be willing to cut out the second section and just have everything sung to the first section? And I said, well, that sort of defeats the purpose of how, of why, how I conceived the hymn. And so they ended up using Mickey. Um, every, every church, every denomination, it, with one exception that I know of, it uses McKee hmm. in, their, in their hymnal. And uh, the uh, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Celebrating Grace uses asthma. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But no. So sometimes there are these um, uh, things that you never think about when you're writing a hymn that <laughs> that uh, uh, you know they liked it but they couldn't use it. It's an interesting point because I think you know in a certain sense there's motivation for a composer to write something that's short if you want to get it published in a hymnal. But also, you know, uh, there are many other ways now that people are, are uh, being exposed to new congregational song than just in denominational hymnals. So. Right, and this hymn has been turned into like a, an anthem, so it, it, there's choral parts in it and that sort of thing. So the, it's something that the choir can sing even if, the, if it doesn't appear in the hymn book. Uh, what do you see as the role of hymns or congregational singing in worship? You know, having sung hymns all my life, I never pondered that question at all. It's just what you did in church, you sang. It wasn't until I was in, in my late 40s, after I'd started writing hymns, hymn tunes, um, I, I decided to make it my career to work in church. I had never worked in church. Um, I had always worked in the private sector and, and uh, did things totally unrelated uh, to music. But the first position that I held as a music director was in a Roman Catholic church. And I, th that created all kinds of new opportunities and exposures and into different styles and sounds, and also how, how worship operates. And what I learned is that in the 1960s, the, um, the, the, the Catholic church globally commanded that uh, everything had been done in Latin up until the 1960s, and in the 1960s, the Second Vatican Council says, no, people need to worship in their own language. And they were directed to go and create new hymns and songs and liturgies that were in their own language, in the people's own language. 
And there was a directive that said, and I've once I learned this phrase, I can't not think of it. The purpose of this liturgy is to make the people able to worship in full, conscious, and active participation in worship, which means that you that it, it's, you are not a spectator. You are a full participant in that worship experience. And, and therefore, to me, that includes the singing of hymns and the songs and the psalm responses, as well as saying things like the Lord's Prayer and the creeds and all of these things, that, that, that it is your duty and it should also be your delight, your duty and delight yeah. um, to, to be a, an active participant rather than a passive observer or letting, letting all those people do the work and you stand back and be, I don't know if entertained is the word, but be not engaged fully other than as a witness, but yeah. you know, it, it's your job to lend your voice. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And it's our way to sing what we believe. It's our, it's our, it should be something we want to do, is to sing what we believe. And our hymns and songs enable us to do that. What's, what's most encouraging that you see happening in, in the area of, uh, of congregational singing? Ben, you and I are a member of an organization that's called the Hymn Society in the United States and Canada. It's actually a more global society than that, and it's not confined just to the singing of hymns. And so I've been a member of it for 32 years. You've been a member for 10 or 15? 15 years. Uh, 15 years, and it's been the single greatest influence of my, in, in my career as a, as, a, as a hymn writer because I've learned, I've been exposed, I've gotten to meet people that we've already named, Stemfley and Troger and Bringle and, and all of these, and, and, and um, but in addition to that, because it's a global organization and we meet every year and we sing every year together and we sing things that people have brought from literally all over the world. Um, to me, the encouraging thing is that we have, we have the ability now to sing songs from literally every, every nation on earth that, is a, that has worship music, that is a Christian worship music. And, um, and those, many of those pieces now have found their way into worship in, in North American churches, yeah. in hymnals, in songbooks. So it's just as you can open up a hymnal and now you see a praise song from Africa or the Caribbean or from Asia, and it's it's all there, and we and it and it helps us to understand that we are in, in that we really are the, the, the Christianity is a global thing, not just an American thing, yeah. and that we are able to worship alongside of in spirit and in through their music in the in the in the with the global genre. <laughs> Um, and so I find that just really exciting that, that um, these things have found their way into materials that we have access to and can, and can hmm. use. I, um, we're at the time of this recording, we're uh, two weeks from Sunday, I think is um, World Communion, World Communion yeah. Sunday. And I think back to 25 years ago when I was first uh, trying to observe that in my church and I had the goal of singing something from every continent. And it was really difficult to come up with 
make sure every continent was represented. And now, just looking at even any of our recent denominational hymnals, we can easily find Antarctica still is a little bit tricky, but well, <laughs> but the rest are. Uh, the penguins don't. What today most concerns you in the landscape of congregational singing and worship? Well, having just said that about the global music, I'm ex I mean, and how exciting that is for me personally to have that experience now of having this music, that doesn't mean it translates into it actually getting used in churches. Yeah. Just because it's in the hymnal doesn't mean that people will use it. In many congregations, many, many church musicians, many congregations are, are frightened of something they don't know, something that's new. And that, that also includes the brand new hymns that you, the hymn tunes that I write or the text that Adam and Mel, those don't always get used because, well, we don't know this. How can we sing this if we don't know this? So, so there's a lot of that um, just reluctance to learn, to learn new things. That's one concern, but the, the, the biggest concern I have is that the great tradition of congregational singing is dwindling <laughs> by and large, day by day, year, year by year. Because communal singing is not done the same way that it once was done, and especially at the level of being in, in the public schools. We used to have assembly in school, and we would sing together, the entire student body, in, an, in an, the school auditorium. Many schools that in my area today are built without even a, an auditorium. Uh, where that, or if there is one, it doesn't hold the entire student body, and so group singing like that is just not it is not done. You know, I think in terms of public group singing, you know, you still might have happy birthday, um, but you also might have take me out to the ball game that people will sing together, maybe. But I also think of you know what what happens at every sports game, uh, the national anthem. How many, how many people actually sing the national anthem? Rather, it's played by a, through a speaker, yeah. or it's played, it's performed by a soloist. Even if, a, it, it, I mean, it's it's just something that group singing just doesn't happen the way it once did, and that that has has impacted singing in church, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, it's still a case now in many denominations where the singing is left to the worship team, the leaders who are up on the platform on the stage, um, and that the congregation are the are the spectators of that. And I that I lament that I think contributes to the loss of co the congregation singing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sally, it's been such a delight getting to spend this time with you. And I want to finish with five questions that I ask each person that I interview on this podcast. Um, and so the first, uh, which hymn has most shaped your faith? Um, I've sung this hymn all my life, and I can't sing it even today without just it being stirred by it. And whether it's the it's, it's breadth of its lengthy, lengthy, there's numerous, numerous uh, stanzas, most of which don't, you couldn't print them all, and, and that would be um, all creatures of our God and King, and, and, it, and it is uh, sung to what I consider is the greatest hymn tune ever written, and that's the 
lost ones are fine. <laughs> um, the ones with all the hallelujahs. And, I mean, that would be, it said, the text says it all, it's all about praise, but it, it speaks to so many different aspects of our living, and it, and it refers to when we die. Yeah. It is. It, it has it. It has it all for me. Yeah, and this this idea of all of creation voicing God's praise and Together. directing creation right. to praise God. Yeah, right. yeah. The whole, the whole, the whole cosmos. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. What hymn do you turn to for comfort? Thirty some years ago, I I probably sung it before, but I paid attention to a particular verse from a classic English hymn. And that hymn was, God moves in a mysterious way, um, his wonders to perform, he plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Um, but the second, I don't know if it's, uh, William Cowper is the poet, and the, there is a, there is a the verse that I just, Whenever I, 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 I can't, it just does it for me. Um, and it's archaic language. Um, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. It's saying just don't worry, don't be afraid. Just don't, don't worry. It's all, it's all good. God is Good, God will bless you. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. That, that's, I find great comfort in that. Oh, thank you. What is your favorite piece of music? <laughs> <laughs> An easy one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to think about this. He was kind enough to give me a little heads up on these questions. Um, I have to go back to the Renaissance, and uh, so in, you know Orlando Gibbons, the Silver Swan. Mm. Oh, it's another one I could just put on a loop and just play and play and play. Box, the Chaconne, the violin Chaconne. Piano, um, Debussy, the girl with the flaxen hair, and um, Anything by Stevie Wonder. <laughs> what book other than the Bible has most shaped your faith or influenced your vocation? I cannot think of a book that does precisely what your question asks, shaping my faith or, or, or influencing my vocation. Um, but we were riding the car last night and we were talking about movies and things and whatever, and one thing led to another and a, a book got mentioned. And I knew immediately that that was one of the most powerful books that I had ever, ever read. And so I, if you have not re read it, I just encourage it. it might, be a little dated, but I'm not sure. Um, it's by John Irving, and it's called A Prayer for Owen Meany. And it, it was one of the most powerful stories. Um, there, is a, um, there is a strong, strong element of what it means to be a Christian in this book. And, and um, I just, uh, when, when, when the title came up last night, I thought, I've, I have recommended that book to more people than I can, can name. Um, and so I would have to say that it, it, for uh, today, uh, again, I'm going to answer that question with a prayer for Owen Meany, John Irving. 
Last question, uh, which hymn would you like to have sung at your funeral? As long as it's not Amazing Grace, I, will, I don't care. <laughs> um, but my real answer is um, see question one. Ah. All creatures of our God. Mm. Voices United, a congregational song podcast, is produced by Benjamin Brody with support from the Hymn Society in the United States and Canada and Whitworth University. Special thanks to the Center for Congregational Song for publicity and technical expertise and Whitworth University student Saul Cuddy for editing and production. 